welcome, 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 to, welcome back, <laughs> welcome to Homos on Horror. It's been a while since we've had an episode here. Well, um, I don't. It seems like a million movies have dropped at the uh, a million horror movies have dropped at the box office, and almost all of them have bombed. Yeah, they've dropped <laughs> at the box office, and they've dropped off the radar immediately. The Grudge, The Turning, The Boy Two. Underwater. I mean, yeah. I, the thing is, is that I mean, there's been a lot of horror films that have come out already in such a short period of time, and yeah, they just kind of like fell like turds off of an empire state building uh i will admit though that there has been two that has definitely caught my attention um, yeah me too i think it's the same ones yeah uh first and foremost uh, the colors out of space uh i was shocked at how good that was because uh, you got to get nervous when nicholas cage is starring in a movie these days uh, <laughs> but i mean Mandy was a was a nice surprise, and sure enough, so was uh, this adaptation of the H.P. Lovecraft story. I yeah, Nicolas Cage goes off the rails in the movie, but it fits for the character because of the insanity involved around the film. Um, the other thing is, uh, so you you didn't see this when it was on the big screen, you said, right? Uh, I know it it had one showing. And I, I came to that one showing, and it was sold out already. Uh, and so it was very frustrating. Um, it was just during a bad time. I was having trouble getting out to go see a movie, and I needed it to be open on a weekend, and it didn't. Um, I will say, Nicolas Cage is in a strange spot where if you pair him with the right material, Mandy, I would even say Mom and Dad if you haven't seen it, and uh, this movie, he can work because in crazy premises – the right director can focus him into an interesting performance. Yeah. And then he's still making a lot of crap. I mean, who saw that fucking movie where he's a jungle hunter on a boat and all the animals? I mean, come on. Is that come the, on. Is all that the CGI the, animals get Is come that on. the Jungle Cruise getting ready to come out with Emily <laughs> Blunt? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, he's he's getting jobs, but you don't want to see most of them. But, yeah, Mandy's a classic already. Yeah. Both amazing soundtracks. Amazing soundtracks oh, yeah, this, for both the, of them. The score to The Color Out of Space is great. And it's a shame you didn't get a chance to see this on the big screen because one of the big stars of this film is the color. And yeah. just the way that that color popped on the big screen was just phenomenally beautiful uh, mm -hmm. The most off-putting thing in this movie was seeing Tommy Chong in a serious role. <laughs> I, I was not ready for that part. I, you know, I was like, okay, Nicolas Cage is ranting about alpacas. Okay, I, I can see that. But you know, seeing Tommy Chong in a non-comedic role, I was like, okay, the guy can act. Um, but, I mean, it was a short role that he had, but still it was a pretty mm -hmm. impactful role. Yeah. Uh, I also, I, I, I want... I'm going to the next movie, if you don't mind. Um, or did you have something else to say about Color oh, Space? Oh, I was going to say I can't wait for the next one, the, the adaptation of the Dunwich Horror. I can't wait. So if, it, if, oh. it's in, if it's anything like this, then I can't wait for it. And who's the director again? I mean, thank you for coming back and making this movie. Thank you for whoever got it because the director nailed it. Oh, um, uh, God, what was the director's name? It was uh, Richard Stanley who – Basically, his career was ruined because of the island of Dr. Moreau. 
but I mean, yeah, if, if, if out there, if you've not seen the movie Hardware, definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, directed by Richard Stanley. It's a twisted fucking film. Uh, but he got, he got uh, Brandoed and Kilmered in. Uh, oh, hardcore. <laughs> it really killed his career. And I hope. I mean, I hope that this gives him the career that he honestly deserved and the promise that he showed with hardware. So, uh, yeah, he 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 did a good job with this one. But there's, there's also a big f you to the dark universe because uh, <laughs> what Tom Cruise and a lot of money couldn't do with the mummy, uh, James Winnell and uh, a seven million dollar budget. <laughs> Dollar budget did, and, and also the tremendous acting job by uh, oh, what's her name, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss. Moss, yeah, yes. Oh my um, God, the Invisible Man. I, the Invisible Man has it already outgrossed? Oh yeah, I like to think it. I like to think it did. Well, it it it's opening weekend and made thirty million dollars, which is well past not only how much money. And that was just domestically. That's well past how much money it spent, not only to make the film, but to market it as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a boffo hit. And yeah. deservingly so, because, damn, that was a good movie. Yeah, I really like the update of it, showing that the Universal Monsters and the properties have lots of life in them. Just you got to get the right director. Yeah. You and just have to get the right found director. Found a new way to make the premise scary again. I mean, because... Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of um, Invisible Man-themed movies that have come out since that just haven't been the same level as the original Invisible Man was. And, oh, man. So, yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this made the idea terrifying again. And, I mean, from the very moment the movie began, you were tensed up. And it did not let go until the very end of the film. My yeah. friend uh, told wow. me that he was like, he texted me, he goes, I'm going to miss the first 10 minutes of the movie. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, you're going to miss all of the exposition needed to understand the movie in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, because so much happens in the first 10 minutes of a movie that if you miss it, you're lost. You're absolutely lost. Exactly. I, I couldn't believe how much was crammed in that first 10 minutes, too. I was like, wow, what normally takes a half hour in a movie to tell, he did in 10 minutes. And again, I would say another fantastic score in a horror movie. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, I really come to appreciate scores in horror movies. And both Color Out of Space and Invisible Man had tremendous scores. Oh, Invisible Man had, I mean, it was modern, but it also had the feel of an old Universal Monsters movie score. I mean, it helped ratchet up the tension and, and terror in that film. I'm also glad that The Invisible Man didn't rely on jump scares. It, it, I mean, it had a couple of jump scares, but it was where they absolutely needed to be, to, to be that jolt that makes mm -hmm. you leap out of your seat. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the film just oozed with white knuckle tension it really did and i yeah elizabeth moss was phenomenal in that role she really was yeah. so just what it looked like horror might be dying again colorado space and invisible man's come to save us yeah, so and, yay and then we have uh i can't wait to see this one i love the fact that they're releasing it on good friday uh saint maud is coming out on good friday and if you've not seen the trailer for this one yet look it up holy crap mm. Um, this is going to offend a lot of Catholics out there. 
I think. Uh, but God, it looks good. But then it'll be followed up with X Men: The New Mutants, and I don't know about that one. So we'll see. Uh, just given the track Saint record, I can't do, imagine it's good. Saint Maud is going to do for religious horror what Dogma did for religious comedy. Piss off the right people. Piss off the yeah. right people. Especially since the poster is her wearing like a Jesus robe in a Jesus pose, wearing a rosary around her neck. And under the robe, you can see she's wearing blood-soaked clothing. And the tagline says, your savior has arisen. Your savior is coming. Oh, your savior is coming. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what a fuck you to the Catholic Church. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to see about this. Yeah. So I'm curious. I saw the trailer... Um, just recently, and I was just like, oh, this looks fucked up. I have to check this out. So, getting to the task at hand, boy. Yes. Um, what What are we going to be talking about today? Well, the, the 90s. <laughs> the 90s, yes. The era of Garth Brooks, Mariah Carey, The Bodyguard, GoldenEye. Power Rangers. Power Rangers. Um... And at the late, the, the start of Britney and Spice Girls and mm-hmm. Justin. What a decade. Grunge, flannel, Ren, really bad fashions. <laughs> Ren, Ren and Stimpy humor. And yeah, I mean, the 90s was quite a decade. And the 90s was also not a favorable decade for horror also. I mean, there was, there was a good film here and there and everything. But the 90s kind of lost in the 90s horror kind of lost its way a little bit and 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 i mainly blame uh the motion picture association of america for being so hard on horror in the late 80s that Mm. hollywood was kind of scared to take chances when it comes to horror and i mean we're, we're now i think in a in a renaissance of horror where studio not the big studios but you know independent studios like a23 and neon are are you know are taking chances again uh, when it comes to horror. So our task was to dig through the muck that was 90s horror and see if we could come up with a top 10 list of our favorite films. Did did you see a lot, going through the list, did you find a lot of movies you liked, had good memories of? I did actually, yes. I mean, there is a couple of films that are on this list uh, that I actually... Did not see. I'll, I'll let you know. There's um, there is two on this list that I did not see until after the nineties. Um, but <laughs> Ditto, yeah. But the the rest of them I did see on the nineties, and a couple of them I'm actually surprised that I did put on my list. But revisiting and looking back at them, um, I realized how much I really did enjoy the films. Yeah. Uh- the 90s is a weird time. It just does not have the nostalgia factor that 80s seems to have with mm-hmm. the with the fun music and the fun fashions and the, you know... I, I We've retroactively seen the 80s as this very positive decade, which it kind of wasn't. <laughs> but yeah. the 90s is doured in grunge and flannel and, um, you know, darkness. Uh, the Clinton era. <laughs> so the the funny thing is the 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 decade started with just a lot of leftovers from the eighties, a lot of bad sequels. Yeah. The end of Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday Thirteenth and Halloween, and uh, 
a lot of the movies at the early part of, of the decade just seemed like that. It took a while for the '90s to find its groove, and I think it yeah. did. It finally did. It took, but yeah. it did. It did take a while, and I mean, with everything—not only just horror films, but mm. with fashion and with music—and I mean, a lot of people can argue that the '90s really didn't have a true original, you know, music sound until grunge music came around. And then with grunge music, we suddenly had the the European dance music invasion. <laughs> I still I still like those songs. Yes. <laughs> we had our real McCoys and our fun factories and everything. Do not <laughs> poke fun at real McCoy, bitch. That first album is amazing. Our Venga uh, Boys and everything else. So and then, you know, pop made a huge comeback with the likes mm-hmm. of Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was an interesting decade. It really was. It's also the decade I started I saw my first rated R movie in the theaters. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I, some of these, I was like, oh, I remember seeing these in the theater. I was, you know, a teenager and snuck into one movie and then started able to go see them later on in the decade. So it was kind of fun remembering that. It was also the decade that gave us the Paul Verhoeven um, um, epic that is known as Showgirls. Well, that is one of the gems of the 90s. <laughs> Which some people consider one of the scariest movies ever made, but yeah. uh, it's interesting because it's like it's like he went from Total Recall and RoboCop and even Basic Instinct to Showgirls, and then and then he made Starship Troopers and we're like, okay, he's going to redeem himself, and then he made Hollow Man. Hollow Man, yeah. <laughs> An interesting career that Paul Verhoeven. Yes. Um, so let's get out the ground rules uh, in case you were wondering. A lot of the psychological horror films that were amazing in this decade are not on this list. Yes. Yeah. So the likes, because the 90s psychological horror really emerged, especially after The Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture. Um, And so emerged this new trend of psychological thrillers like The Silence of the Lambs and uh, the, The Hand that Rocked the Cradle and Single White Female and Misery and seven. whatnot. Yeah, Seven. So, as great as these films are, I mean, don't don't get us wrong; these films are amazing. We wanted to avoid psychological thriller and go for movies that really do fall into the realm of horror itself. Well, um, one thing, misery was one we debated about. We decided that we could put it in the list if we wanted. Yeah. And that did predate Silence of the Lambs anyway. Yeah. And I got to admit that there was one There's one that's on my list that I was debating whether or not it would be considered psychological thriller or horror. And then I actually went back and rewatched it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a fucked up horror film. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I'll look forward to that. Sorry, Rebecca Dormor- DeMornay. You, were, you are one of my favorite uh, things that came out of the 90s, though. We're not talking about you today, though. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if we were doing psychological thriller, then those movies we mentioned definitely would have been on the list. Seven would yeah. be very. Seven would have been on there. Silence and Lands would have been on there, and the Hand that Rocks the Cradle, I think, which is honestly wrongly forgotten, uh, would have been on the list as well. I have no idea how why that movie got forgotten. Like, I, I sometimes I try to figure out like why why that one. Single white females kind of stayed in the public consciousness a bit, but not that one. And it was a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't so, understand either. Maybe maybe because single white female has Jennifer Jason Lee masturbating. I don't know. My well, favorite, is that it's the high heels? Yes. My favorite 90s horror movie of all time 
Whoopi Goldberg's Theodore Rex. Good night. <laughs> and there you go. There, you, there go. you go. That's a horror movie of a different kind. Yes, it is. <laughs> so what is your number 10 on your list, Mike? I'm, I'm dying to hear this list. I, ever since we came up with this idea, I'm dying to hear this list. Uh, I, I loved just going down the list because there's a lot of crap in this decade. A lot of movies I've never seen. A lot of movies I'm never going to see. I'm, I'm not going to go back and find out if some of these movies were good or not. Um, but I saw a lot of these in the theater, and I had great memories. And I'm starting with a late entry, Robert Rodriguez's The Faculty. Ah, okay. Um, star-studded, it was uh, a, a, a mixture of people like B.B. Newworth and uh, Salma Hayek mixed, mixed with up-and-coming stars like Josh Hartnett and Elijah Wood. Um, Jordana Brewster's in this movie. Claire Duvall's in this movie. Robert Patrick's in this movie. Piper Laurie's in this movie. I mean, most of the people who are in it either had a career before or had a career after. Um, I saw this in the movies, 1998, and it was some of the most fun I had. I would have been 21, um, and I just remember going, and the audience loved it. Uh, I looked, I saw it the other day, uh, sometime in the past year, and I still really liked it. I thought it, you know, it's 90s, I'm not going to lie, it's it's very 90s, um, but I still enjoy, oh, Usher's in it, let's not forget Usher. Um, <laughs> don't forget, still, don't, don't forget I, John Stewart also. Uh, Oh, and Kevin Williams. Can you get more '90s? Written by Kevin Williamson. Yeah. Directed by Robert Rodriguez with Elijah Wood. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you could get any more '90s in this movie. Um, and I loved it. I think the it, it's a product of its time. But I, I look back at this as fondly as I could look back at a lot of the '80s movies that are just a lot of fun to watch and. Um, Creature features were very big in the in the nineties. I I wish we could get back to that. Um, and this is kind of more of a creature feature in the in the in the tropes of a slasher. I really did like yeah. it. How about yours? What is your number ten? I went totally in the opposite direction. Of you, <laughs> I hope you do a lot of that. This um, my choice for top ten was the Blair Witch Project. Ah, not on my list. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that the that the Blair Witch Project does get a lot of hate uh, because of. Um, Can you feel my side eye from here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because a lot of people, you know, will say it's not scary or whatever, and you know, it is responsible for the found footage genre and everything. But I I remember when the film came out and I, I saw this before they decided to give it. Oh God, I sound like a hipster before they get, it got, before it got big. Yeah. Before it, you know, got the wide release that it did and the momentum was building up of it and it was considered an art house film. And I saw it at the time when people were honestly thinking that this was a true story, that this was, a, you know, that this was really found footage and everything and fell for it. And I remember just being terrified about this. And I was like, all oh, these poor, you know, got, you know, this trio and everything. And then, you know, the film gets the wide release and uh, people are like, oh, this is not that scary. And then, you know, the truth comes out about the actors and everything. And, then, you know, everybody feels duped and blah, 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 blah. Looking back at the Blair Witch Project, I not only is it still entertaining to me, um, 
uh, as as a horror film and in some aspects you know still effective for me but this film is so groundbreaking in what it did because it really had no budget no budget whatsoever the whole thing was filmed on just a couple of camcorders and had just a outline for a script and they just threw these three actors into the woods and tortured them uh, with you know stuff happening in the background and everything and just told them to improv. And it was the biggest improv exercise I've seen at that time committed to the big screen. And it just that alone, you know, just impressed me. Would I make some changes today? Yeah. I mean I I would have, you know, done something a little more with the ending i read what the original ending was going to be apparently we were supposed to see something actually run at the camera um in a way i kind of glad that that didn't happen but i i i would have probably made the ending a little less ambiguous than it is uh but at the same time i have to acknowledge the blair witch for its place in history so that's my number 10 no i mean the biggest thing that blair witch has is that it uh I mean, it would it created a whole new subgenre, and it took a while for that subgenre to really take off. Mm-hmm. Now but it's all it over did, the place. Huh? Now it's all over the place. Well, I think it's kind of finally died for now. Yeah, I was going to say uh, for now until they come out with Paranormal Activity Part ninety three. Yeah, yeah. Par- you know, it, it, it introduced it, and then Paranormal Activity reintroduced it. Yeah, but you know the 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 hoopla around this movie is so rare i mean just caught the public's imagination i saw it on vhs i rented it from blockbuster you know what other movie i rented at the same time showgirls the matrix i saw (laughs) the matrix and blair witch on the same weekend on vhs that's quite quite the double feature there actually yeah (laughs) you go from you go from a, mo- a movie with zero technology and flair behind it to like one of the most visually stunning movies of the 90s. I mean. <laughs> and neither one had I seen in the theater. So I think that's – I have very fond memories of Blair Witch. It was definitely in the running. Um, I really do like what the creative choices they did. I thought it was kind of scary. But when you do something that's more vague, I tend to, to, to respond well to it. So mm-hmm. good choice, good choice. What's your number nine? Uh, a movie that we're both big fans of. Um, and you're not going to believe it. I barely saw it in the last four months. Bride of Chucky. <laughs> not on my list, but it definitely has a soft spot in my heart. Yes. Um, the first three <laughs> Child's Play movies, I, I like the first one. Two and three... I don't know if I'll ever really enjoy watching them over and over again. They don't have the Friday the 13th part six fun factor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not like Halloween two that I enjoy watching. It's not dream warriors. These were not great sequels to me. I know some people might think so, but for me, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but brought it Chucky. When I finally saw it, I finally was like, this is, I, I was missing this for over 20 years. <laughs> It's, it's just a lot of fun. Um, Jennifer Tilly steals the fucking movie and makes this, the franchise almost her own in, in, in one movie. Uh, and, and her acting in this one and seated Chucky, I just adore. Um, this was just, you know, self-referential. 
you know, Ronnie, you did pretty well with it, much better than he probably did with Freddy versus Jason a few years later. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the movie's <laughs> Catherine Heigl. Yeah. John Ritter. I mean, interesting, interesting movie, but I just kind of liked it because it was just so much fun and kind of, you know, who knew that Chucky needed Tiffany so badly to be relevant again? And he probably wasn't very relevant by this point. No, um, he wasn't. What helps it also is that they went for horror comedy instead of mm-hmm. straight horror. That's what that's what also helped yeah. save the franchise. And if you see like a lot of the a lot of the if today they show a lot of Chucky, it is that scarred up brighted Chucky face that you see a lot mm-hmm. more than you see. It's like original and that. Uh, those are the two images of Chucky that I think have remained uh, in the in the public's eye and the horror community's eye is that one. So it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, and I'm going to enjoy watching it over and over again. So, Bride of Chucky for me. Fun film. Yeah. How about you? What is your number nine choice? My number nine choice was a movie that was made as a tribute to Hammer Horror Films and uh, came from a director who honestly always had kind of a flair for horror, and I wish he would have done more horror like this. Uh, My number nine choice is Sleepy Hollow from Tim Burton. Oh, really? Yes. Um... Not on my list, so yeah. I fell in love with this movie the minute he came out. I mean, because I knew exactly the type of vibe and feel he was going for. It had that that lush, gothic feel that a Hammer Mm -hmm. Horror film had. Um, This is one of the few Johnny Depp performances that I can watch over and over again. Um, It's also one of the few Johnny, rare Johnny Depp, Tim Burton movies that also doesn't have Helena Bonham Carter in it. Um, But... I just, it just, I, I liked how they took the story of the Legend of Sleepy Hollow and really twisted it on its ear and gave it this uh, fresh perspective that honestly worked. Um, surprisingly graphic. I couldn't believe how graphic it was. Um, and plus, you have this fun performance from Christopher Walken as the batshit crazy headless horseman uh, <laughs> with, with fangs. <laughs> Um, and and Miranda Richardson in a dual role as well, and then of course you have you know the Queen of Goth at that time, Christina Ricci, in the uh, film. I, I loved how your cat said that right as you say. <laughs> <laughs> it's like like she's a bit, the cat's missing Christina as much as I am yes. right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I loved the film, and I mean just having you know the old time British actors in there, especially Christopher Lee when they had Christopher Lee on the set, I it just. Everything about it just oozed that fun hammer horrorness from the 60s and the 70s. Uh, so Tim Burton, I think, did a perfect love letter to those type of films. And I still love Sleepy Hollow today. So uh, definitely on my top 10 of the decade. Mm-hmm. I need to see it again. I've only seen it once. I've forgotten almost everything about it. Uh, I think I need to maybe see this in another 90s movie. Uh, or is it? Edward Scissorhands? Yes. It feels like a 90s movie. It is. Um, it, I think it came out in the early 90s, if memory serves yeah. me right. Yeah. It'd be fun to watch those two again. Yeah, I think so. Good choices. I like that we're not agreeing so far. I know. This is a rarity. Up. I was like, usually it's like, oh, yeah. When we're doing like the past decade. But in the 90s, it's all over the place here. I'm curious to – I'm definitely – I can't wait to see your number one. But uh-huh. uh, what's your number eight? Uh, I think this movie, um, 
I saw it the first time with you way after the 90s. Uh, it would have been really hard to watch back then. Uh, accessibility to foreign films was not what it would be today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is Ringu. Uh, Ringu, nice. 1998. I think I love this movie so much because it definitely... You start seeing in the late 90s where horror was heading, especially internationally, um, and, and especially in a time when Americans weren't, where American horror may have lost its way. Mm-hmm. You can find a lot of great stuff overseas, and Ring was one of them. The American remake and this one, some similarities, but a lot different. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy both. I enjoy both a lot. But there is something just really a little bit more disturbing about the Japanese one. Um, and it spawned, you know, some great mem- some great things that would continue on. Maybe got overused, uh, you know, long-haired women <laughs> killing you. I, I don't know how they kill you, but they do. <laughs> well, I mean, but, it, it's, it's just the fact that you see a long-haired, you know, Asian woman just standing there and it just terrifies you, I guess. I don't know. And in this one, uh, Sadaku is a teenage girl mm-hmm. where Samara is preteen. Preteen. And um, I think it definitely adds a different element because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I. I I think it's very influential. It was definitely showing where horror was going to go in the next decade, especially overseas, how we were going to start bringing it over to um, remake, mostly not as successfully. And uh, I I think it stands out, even though it may not be American or British, it's definitely one of the highlights of the decade for me. Mm Mm-hmm. So how about you? What do you what is your number eight pick? Uh, my pick for number eight is um, it's it's actually a social commentary movie, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Um, and uh, really predates um, the um, the movies of Jordan Peele. Um, and it's also an anthology movie, Tales from the Hood. I'm glad you included that. It's uh, a good movie. Yeah, Tales from the Hood, I Anthology movies really don't get a lot of love. We've discussed that before on this show. Mm-hmm. And Spike Lee produced this anthology tale that had a lot of so- – I mean he didn't direct it, but it had a lot of social commentary behind it and had a great um, performance, a scene-stealing performance from Clarence Williams III as the uh, mortician. Uh, and just the way that the tales were weaved around, I, they really – managed to find a way to take these social Im- uh, issues that were going on with the African-American community and still are today and create these great like Tales from the Crypt, Twilight Zone-esque uh, stories around them. I the, the one to me that still stands out the most is the, the racist running for governor staying inside mm-hmm. his uh, family plantation and the, the dolls of the slaves that come to life. I mean, that's a great, great segment. Uh, that one and the um, the homicidal street gang member who goes through the psychotherapy, the the experimental psychotherapy. I mean, these, these just some great stories. Um, and um, of course, you know the the plot twist reveal at the end after mm-hmm. the whole wraparound and everything. 
But yeah, I love. I've always loved Tales from the Hood. I think I think it's a great film. I can't say the same for the sequel, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I I I'd be remiss not to mention Tales from the Hood here. You know, I saw a lot of these. Obviously, I did not see as much horror as I should have in the '90s. I was a drugs witness at the time, so forgive me. But I saw Tales from the Hood in the last two years myself, and. It could have been made today. I mean, seriously. Yeah. The, it's it's a great thing to show that the African-American community has been dealing with these issues, especially the ones dealing with the police force, for a while. This isn't something that was overblown by the media and, you know, created uh, in the uh, aughts. This was something that has been ongoing and um, they were talking about it in this movie from the 90s. Yeah. And it happened decades before. And so uh, that movie has not lost its power at all. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it has not lost its power. If you watch it today, it definitely is still relevant uh, today as it was when it came out in the 90s, which is kind of sad at the same time when you think about it. No, that's, I think that's. I think we could. I was reading an article today about, uh, like, even the Invisible Man and about uh, gaslighting. I mean, gaslight was from a movie from the forties, yeah. <laughs> and we're still dealing with that today. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's it is. It's, that's why the movie is so good because yeah. it's it's dealing with relevant topics. So, what is your number seven? All right. Well, we forgot to list this movie and movies that are coming out this year uh, because the remake is highly anticipated. Ah. Candyman. Um, when you think 90s, I think there's a few movies that come to mind. Candyman is definitely in the top three, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, Tony Todd is one of the best horror villains of all time for what he did in this movie. And there's, there's so much to love the score by uh, Philip glass. Isn't it? It's Philip glass. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing. I think he, we'll talk about, I'll bring that up later, but uh, Virginia Madsen's amazing in this. Uh, I'm not sure what Tony Todd was known for before this movie, but he definitely, this is what he is known for after. Yeah, I don't um, really remember Tony Todd until this. And even with like films like Final Destination and yeah. Hat and Hatchet and everything else, I mean, I still see Tony Todd as Candyman first and foremost. I mean, this was definitely a performance that solidified him in the character. It really did. Yeah. I mean, this is a movie that has a lot of nostalgia for me because I remember these trailers coming out and being scared to death about the Candyman. Um, you know, just, just a little, you know, say his name five times and it seems scary. Let's say I would, I would still be a, you know, younger teenager around this time. And I wanted to see this movie so bad, but I wasn't allowed. I wasn't even 18 yet to be able to go see the movie on my own. Mm -hmm. um, when I finally saw it, it was after years of buildup, you know, and, and things I heard here and there, some of them were lies. I think I remember hearing about a scene that never happened in this movie. Um, but, uh, 
when I saw it, I mean, it wasn't what I was expecting, and yet I loved it so much because it wasn't what I was expecting. Um, yeah, I mean, Clyde Barker's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't even know what. I mean, there's just so much you could say. This is this is a good movie. This is good performances. And I'm so excited to see what they do with the remake. The trailer looks so good. I only saw a little bit because I don't like spoilers, but I'm just like, I hope this is a really takes Candyman and takes it in a, in another level that is going to be really appreciated see, I'm, I, in 2020. I don't, I, it's like, I'm looking at the new one that's coming out and I'm like going, is this a remake or is this a sequel? Because it's got a couple of faces from the original movie. And, true. True. And you yeah. hear Tony Todd's voice in the trailer also. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction this new version of Candyman goes into. Yeah. But I mean, this is definitely one of the, horror movies of the 90s and in its favor it is nothing like the slashers that are more known for Mm. in that decade this is a movie that stands out from that whole crowd a little bit more elevated than the rest of them if you ask me um it's like elevated horror before it became a thing (laughs) pretty much and yet still has some good gore still has some good gore Mm -hmm. um yeah, so th- I wanted to be put a little higher, but there's some nostalgia things that are really ranking the top six for me. Um, and so, unfortunately, I was like, I think this is where it belongs for me because I really do love this movie. And I really love Tony Todd as Candyman. And I'm so looking forward to my picture with him at Texas Fright Nightmare. <laughs> please don't. Black please don't cancel. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Corona. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully it will run its course by then. Yeah, let's hope. Um, so what is your six, uh, six movie? Uh, you mean number seven? Oh, yeah, number seven, yeah. <laughs> We're not six yet. Math um, is hard. <laughs> uh, my number seven movie is, uh, I, I think it was like so many other movies this director has made ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, and today I think works better than it did back then, even though I thought it was brilliant what they were doing in the, in the film when it was released back in the nineties. Uh, John Carpenter's in the mouth of madness is, my we've been talking about this one a lot lately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not only, you know, does he have fun with Stephen King in this movie with Sutter Kane and, uh, he's doing a, a great love letter to, uh, I mean, even though HP Lovecraft is very problematic with his racist views and everything, the man did write a great horror story, and so he takes the ideas of the cosmic horror, um, which John Carpenter was awesome at doing, uh, actually, when you go back and look at a lot of his films. Uh, but the, the what he did within The Mouth of Madness was just so, so well done. And um, I love the fact that I, it was fr- I remember it being frustrating at the time, not really getting a good look at the otherworldly uh, like creatures that existed at the time. Uh, but as I got older, I realized that just helped not only accentuate the horror of it, but you know, part of the things about cosmic horror is the fear of the unknown. And mm-hmm. you since you can't really see what these creatures look like, that just adds to the fear of the unknown because you because you don't know what's being attacked or is attacking you in these movies and everything. Yeah. Plus, you got a great performance from Sam Neill going on in here. 
Um, he had a good decade. Samuel no, had a good decade. It was a great decade for him. And um, I, out of all people, who would have thought someone like Charlton Heston would have been in a John Carpenter movie? And you've got John, you got him all of a sudden out of nowhere in this thing. Um, and just, just yeah, I mean, it, 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 it went into meta directions that I don't think the audience was ready for yet. And now we are in a, in a, in a post scream world. We are. So, mm-hmm. um, definitely like so many other movies from John Carpenter ahead of its time. And, um, I thoroughly enjoy it even today. Yes. Yes. That is a good time for a pause because we're going to also spice it up by talking about other movies that, weren't good enough to make the list, but are noteworthy in their own way. Yes. (laughs) So the first one we're going to talk about in this break between our numbers is our favorite guilty pleasure movies of this decade. Um, Why don't you go ahead and start? Well, mine turned out to be a tie. Um, One, I remember seeing when they, when they were released and it's trash. The films are trash, but I've got a soft spot in my heart for them. Um, the dentist movies. Um, I've never seen them. Oh my God. Corbin Burnson really needed a paycheck. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't getting the residuals from LA law and major uh, league. Like he, I guess wanted to. So, you know, he, he buckles down and makes these movies about a psychotic dentist. And I've got to, I got to admit that it it does work because you got that fear of going to the dentist and then drilling just a little too far. And while the films are trash, when they're doing the close-up sequences of him just destroying the teeth and the gums on his victims, it is cringing moments like that. You're just like, ah, ah, while watching it. Um, especially in part two when he's working on Clint Howard's infected gums and you're uh, Clint Howard how many freaking <laughs> movies was he injuring this decade a lot uh, so you know he plays he plays one of the victims in part two and you know you're just watching him working on the gums the infected gums and the pus explosion that happens you're just like ah because it's literally in your face um, there's just a lot of moments like that in the movies, but I, 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 it's trash, but I love the trash. And speaking of trash, the other, uh, film that it tied with, I just recently discovered, uh, and it's actually been so lost for so long that I think it, people until recently even knew of its, ex- of its existence. And, and that's Tammy and the T-Rex. Um, oh, that, you're in love with that movie. Oh, it's emerged as a new guilty pleasure movie. It really has. I mean, I, <laughs> I, the movie's not good. It really isn't. Um, but it's so much fun to watch because because one, you got Isaac from Children of the Corn playing a scientist who apparently has created the most sophisticated, at the time, uh, animatronic Tyrannosaurus Rex for purposes unknown in the movie, never explained. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, being op- it's being controlled by the weekend at Bernie's guy, and he gets the idea of re- putting a human brain into the animatronic Tyrannosaurus Rex. It turns out to be the brain of Paul Walker, um, 
Are you serious? Yes. And uh, his girlfriend is being played by Denise Richards. Uh, and then you've got the gay best friend who's dressed up in all like 90s Afrocentric clothing. I was calling him Gay Farrakhan through the whole film. Um, and I got to say, I mean, Denise Richards has never been known for being a good actress. But watching. She's Pan- a nuclear physicist, <laughs> all right? Upon. <laughs> <laughs> Upon watching Tammy and the T-Rex, my question was, who did she fuck to get the role in Starship Troopers? Because she did not deserve that movie after watching Tammy and the T-Rex. Did, um, you, did you ever see her audition for one of the Halloween movies? No, I haven't. It's on YouTube. you got to look it up. And at the end, she leaves, and the producer says, she's gorgeous, but she can't act at all. <laughs> Fucking Halloween movie. <laughs> yeah. Her acting is atrocious in this movie, but that just adds to the fun of the film. And it's also, it, it, I mean, there was a the, the when the film was recently resurfaced. First, it was the the PG thirteen cut, mm-hmm. and then it turned out there's an R rated cut of this film, and that's the version that has been restored recently. Believe it or not, in four K. Uh, but I'm glad that they did this in 4K because it just emphasized how terrible the gore effects are <laughs> in, in this film and just elevates it to the level of comedy it needed to be. Uh, so it's, de- I mean, you could tell it was not meant to be serious. It's in the same veins of mm. films like Frankenhooker and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but God, definite guilty pleasure of mine, uh, Tammy and the T-Rex. It's on Shutter, by the way, gang. If you have Shutter, how about you? I, I don't know. I don't think I have the strength. <laughs> oh, you need to see it just for the scene where they're at the morgue shopping for a new body to put Paul Walker's brain into. I don't think I have the strength. <laughs> that so, scene alone is worth it. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the movies you did because you said L.A. Law. Yes. My, one of my guilty pleasures also had an actor from L.A. Law. It was also in the medical field, Dr. Giggles. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which, okay, like Tammy the T-Rex for you, I saw Dr. Giggles just a month ago when I got my Michael Myers tattoo. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my guy is a horror-loving tattoo artist. We get along really well. Um so like, you know, watch while I'm doing this tattoo, go ahead and watch whatever you want. And he had Dr. Giggles on his uh, his iPad. And uh, I was like, it's time to watch it. It's <laughs> I've been wanting to watch this movie since 1990-fucking-two. This is not one that seems to have survived the 90s very well. Uh, it's not on 4K yet. <laughs> and this, but this movie is absolutely ridiculous. In all the right ways for me, it has Holly Marie Combs. Little did she know that she'd be one of the charmed ones at this time. Um, And it's just pun after pun after medical pun after medical pun that uh, you're just like, surely they've run out by now. And they're like, of course not. And stop calling her Shirley. That's pretty much where we are with this movie. Um, I, I think Larry Drake's having a lot of fun playing this killer uh, it's not scary. Um, he uses a plethora of 
really weird versions of medical equipment that you just don't like, where did he even get this? Like at one point he throws this, uh, blood pressure cuff around a guy's neck and it's like seven times normal size. And you're like, <laughs> where was he even hiding this thing? He had a bag. It would have taken up more than the whole fucking bag. Or how about the stomach pump? Yeah. You know, you know, uh, and, but the puns, the puns, so many puns. Um, they just keep coming. He makes Arnold Schwarzenegger and Batman and Robin look subdued with puns. <laughs> and, I, and I just had a field day with it. It was just, it, it was one of those Saturday afternoon, why the fuck not watch this movie and, you know, just enjoy it for what it is. It is not high cinema. But but I but I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. Um, the other my other guilty pleasure. Speaking of Clint Howard, I would say guess which movie I'm talking about. But he's in so many in this era that there'd be no way he could hit it. Ticks. I was gonna say it's got to be either Ticks or the Ice Cream Man. One of the two. Uh, I Ticks is one I saw on cable, and it's just it's that creature feature. This would be on Sci-Fi these days. Yeah. Um, I'm but infested, probably, but probably with a bigger budget. Let's not forget uh, Alfonso Ribeiro playing <laughs> a hood guy quite, quite unsuccessfully. I might add. You're like you're not fooling anyone. And he was in the Fresh Prince of Bel Air during this era, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, '93, I believe, was still on the air. Yeah. Yeah. Seth Green's in this movie. Yeah. Peter Scolari's in this movie. Uh it is just, you know, it is exactly what you think it is. Uh, mutated ticks attacking people. <laughs> they're, they're, again, Saturday afternoon. I, I wish these movies came back. Um, that just had this much fun with it. I, I don't I think Piranha would be the last one of the last movies I can think of that had this much fun with the source material. Yeah. Um, and not like Crawl that was super 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 serious and this family needs to get back together no you know <laughs> like placid those types of movies Tix is <laughs> Tix is just a very good guilty pleasure for me and uh it's just as bad as i remember because i tried to watch it not too long ago i didn't have time to finish the whole thing i was like oh yep it's pretty bad it's pretty bad it looks like a direct to d you know uh, direct to VHS movie back then, which I think it probably was. Most likely it was, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But we, yeah, Alfonso R R Ribeiro. Yeah, he was horrible, <laughs> acting like a thug. It's just not very convincing. <laughs> no. um, oh man, I for, I've, I've forgotten about Ticks. I'm gonna have to revisit that one. I just the like the one thing I remember from that movie is Clint Howard just leaning over um, the main actress in the movie, screaming, I'm infested! Yeah, I love it when, like, one of the ticks is running around in a medical office and the nurse just steps on it and she's like, when in doubt, squish. Yes. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I saw this movie in Entertainment Tonight. I used to watch Entertainment Tonight every night, and they were talking about this movie, and they showed that little clip, and I knew I had to see it after that. <laughs> You know, Mary J. Thank you, Mary J. Hart. Is that was that her name? Uh, Mary Hart. Mary, Mary Hart. Yeah. Is it just Mary Hart? Yeah. Thank you, Mary Hart. I love you so much back then. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, you ready to tackle the next three on the list? Yes, I am. Why don't you start us up? All right, my number six one is um, another forgotten horror film. Um, There's too many forgotten from this decade, yeah. if you ask. Honestly, this one's, a, I think, out of all the horror films on my list, the most forgotten and really, really deserves more attention, not only because of just how well told it is, but because of who stars in it. Um, mm-hmm. Snow White, A Tale of Terror. I've never seen it, and I didn't know, like, I don't know anyone who's ever talked about it to say if I should see it or not. Oh, and it's a, the main reason to see this movie is for Sigourney Weaver's performance as the evil queen. Um, it is a, I mean, this movie is actually responsible for really launching the genre of twisted horror tales into the stratosphere. I mean, they've been around prior to that. With films like *A Company of Wolves* and uh, and *Dead Time Stories* and stuff like that, but Sn- *Snow White: A Tale of Terror* took the uh, Brothers Grimm story and really emphasized on the dark elements of it. Uh, but not only is it just this great dark, gritty retelling of the Snow White tale. But Sigourney Weaver just proves why she is one of the best actresses to grace this planet um, in her performance as both the evil queen and the spirit in the magic mirror. Um, And it's just the scenes where she's having the conversation with the magic mirror is just, just powerhouse acting going on. And then when she disguises herself as the hag uh, to tempt Snow White with the poison apple. It's just a creepy-ass performance. And one of those performances where you're like looking at Snow White going, why are you giving this creepy-ass-looking woman the time of day? Get away from her. <laughs> she screams, stranger danger. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I it, this movie really does deserve to be rediscovered. Snow White, A Tale of Terror. If you see it anywhere online or anything... Do yourself a favor. Sit down. Watch it. Watch one of Sigourney Weaver's greatest performances ever. I'm going to have to remember that one um, because I've always wanted to see that movie. What's your number six? Uh, It is one of the best creature features of all time. Um, I saw this at the Dollar Theater in Texas uh, with my family. This is this was, I think, PG-13, so we could all see it as a family. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just stuck with me ever since. It's Tremors. Nice. <laughs> um, you know, the movie, I mean, it has Kevin Bacon in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reba McIntyre, Michael Gross, Fred Ward. Um, I, I think this movie is one of the best movies of the 90s in, in so many ways. Great cast memorable setup um and scary creatures i mean the creatures from especially the first tremors i'm not talking about the sequels but those main creatures are it's kind of scary just thinking about walking and that being enough for these to get you and you die a pretty miserable death and being eaten alive by these creatures that are uh nightmare inducing you know and a lot of, and some of the scenes in this movie are still very scary, especially when you're in that 1990, I would have been like 13. I think I was like the right fucking age to see something like Tremors. Um, you still haven't been exposed to everything, so this would definitely blow your mind, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was also just fun. I think this is one of the funnest movies from the 90s. That scene for, uh, 
Reba McIntyre and Michael Gross were just shooting up uh, <laughs> the monster in their basement, like grabbing one gun after another. Who doesn't love that scene, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, when the person's like jumping on that little pogo stick and, you know, they're about to get eaten um, and they get, you know, knocked up all of a sudden. I, I just I really do like this movie. I've seen it so many times, so many times. And uh, I should see all the rest of the sequels, I guess. But I saw the second one and I thought it was already taken in weird directions. I just never bothered with the rest of them. Um, have you seen the rest of them? Uh, I stopped at part five. so uh, <laughs> Wow, you went pretty far. <laughs> yeah, I went pretty far in the franchise. Uh, I do own part – only, I, I only own part one and part five. Um, I own part five just because of how ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, the, I mean, the other sequels are interesting to watch. I can't believe it that this franchise has had the legs that it's had. But it's definitely, I think, uh, put Michael more money. Michael Gross has powered forward with it, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I guess it's put more money in his pockets than residuals from Family Ties has. So, <laughs> uh, Kevin Bacon, another horror movie. Yes. Um, but I, I just think this movie works on so many levels. It's fun. It's scary. It's the perfect movie to discover when you're 13. And, you and you know, I have a lot of fond memories of seeing this movie. And uh, I think it holds up pretty well still. Mm-hmm. Good choice. How about you? What's your next movie? My number five movie is one that you've already talked about, actually. Huh? Oh, which one? It is Candyman. Yep. Candyman enters my top five. Um yeah, Candyman definitely is one of the first films I think of when I think of the 90s. Uh, I love Wes Craven. I think Wes Craven is a very, very great uh, horror um, novelist and great at just you know getting under your skin and you know with the world of perversions and everything like that and dealing with taboo subject matters and everything. He's he's willing to go there, and I don't think Hollywood has honestly been um, as gracious as they should be when it comes to his films. Uh, I, I Candyman is probably, I think, out of all the films that he has made with all of his adaptations that he's wanted to do and everything, probably one of the more closer to his visions than he's wanted it to be. Um, but still that's not saying a lot because I mean, Clive Barker's mind is in another world. It really is. And uh, Hollywood just couldn't understand that type of horror from him. But Candyman, I mean, Tony Todd definitely is one of the things that has made this movie stand the test of time for me. Like it has, um, plus, I mean, it, it, you know, it deals with the whole, you know the 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 urban legends and folklore things. You know where you know if you say like Bloody Mary in the Mary in the mirror so many times and everything, something will happen to you and stuff like that. And it deals with that, but gives it a great urban spin. And you know, much like uh, Tales from the Hood, which I mentioned earlier, it does deal with um, you know s- social issues that are that were going on with the African American community at the time, which is something that I am glad that they're tackling in this new film because I've noticed how they were showing the old neighborhood from the original film and mm-hmm. what it looks like today. Uh, some of it has been you know, gentrified, but some of it still remains and everything. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great, great adaptation 
um, at least in my opinion. I mean, some people can argue about the, the problematic stuff about the interracial relationship or, or something like that in there. But I, at the same time, I, I, I think that it went into a direction that was, you know, dealing with stuff like whole, that whole jungle fever thing that was going on in the 90s. Um, and I mean, I, I remembered that I after we mentioned about what we didn't know what Tony Todd was known for before this. I mean, prior to this, he was in the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Yes, it was. And um, that is a good movie. Yeah, which is, you know, another film that deals with social relevance and everything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, what a star-turning performance. And to this day, I like I said, whenever I see Tony Todd, I still think Candyman. I, and, and he's definitely not only a true horror icon, but definitely an icon of the 90s. So... Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for this new Candyman movie. I think it's in great hands, and um, I, the, the female director who's directing it, this is her real, you know, first big hurrah. I mean, Jordan Peele's giving her one hell of an opportunity, and I can't wait to see what she's done with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I didn't say about Philip Glass. I, when I got the uh, the record for his score for Candyman, which hadn't been available for a while, because from what I understand, what I was reading in the notes, he thought Candyman was going to be a little bit more elevated. And so he decided he would do the score. Mm -hmm. Then when he saw it, he didn't really think it was elevated enough. It was just one of those slashers, you know, and kind of let, you know, they still used it, but he didn't give them permission to release it. Oh, and wow. then like all these decades later, he's like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess he was like, oh, I guess Candyman has held up well. Sure, go ahead. I guess he forgot what he was so upset about in the first place. Well, Candyman, um, you know, really didn't get, you know, I mean, the sequels went all over the place, which yeah. uh, ugh, I'm not a fan of the sequels to Candyman. But for the longest time, the original movie, it was hard to get a hold of a copy outside of VHS and DVD. I mean, even when it was released on DVD, it was not the best copy released on DVD. Yeah. So when Shot Factory finally released it on Blu-ray, I was like, thank God it's getting the treatment that it deserves. Yeah, exactly. So what number are we on now? We're on number four. Oh, wait a minute. No, you haven't no, no, revealed no, no. your number, number five, five to me yet. What's your number five? Uh, here we go again. Um, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me, but I don't care. Um H2O. <laughs> Oh, uh, we've talked ad nauseum about this movie. <laughs> H2O, H2O, H2O. Um, look, here it is, everybody. <laughs> the sequel I that is... The, 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 the Halloween and Halloween 2 are so important to my childhood. Uh, the sequels that are no seen, longer relevant. <laughs> I, I, You know, Halloween 1 and 2 are big to me. Four and five, I didn't see too much later. Three, I saw in the moment. was like, what the hell is this? It was a little bit too much for my <laughs> childhood mind. It's like, where's Michael Myers? And what happened to that kid? <laughs> <laughs> but when H2O came out, it was very hyped. Just prob almost as much as probably uh, Halloween 2018 was, to be honest. Uh, I remember reading Entertainment Weekly articles about it and the photo shoot they did with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Williams. Uh, I remember all that. Roy. God, who knew that her career would go as far as it has since H2O? Yeah. I mean, good God. I mean, it's like I look back at H2O and I see Michelle Williams then, and, you know, she was just fresh off of Seventh Heaven also. And then, so, you know, you, you look at this 
and you look at all the awards that she's won, I'm like, wow, this woman went on to play Gwen Verdon on television, you know, and has, you know, went on to become one of the best actresses out there right now. Mm-hmm. It was Dawson's Creek, get it right? Oh, Dawson's Creek, I'm sorry. Why was I thinking Seventh Heaven? I'm sorry. <laughs> I have no idea. That's Jessica Beale. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm sorry. It's Dawson's Creek. I'm sorry. Yeah. So this movie, like... I just love that it was the natural sequel to Halloween 1 and 2 mm-hmm. that kept Halloween 1 and 2 intact. Um, this is also Josh Hartnett's feature film debut. Yes. Um, imagine that. The, the movie's very 90s. The movie's very 90s. They make the damning decision not to use the iconic score. Um or at least not very often. I think they might have used it once, but it doesn't even sound, it doesn't sound anything like John Carpenter's. I think, I think they might use it once, but they definitely, I think it was at the end of the movie when they just like threw the bone of the final. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's very, very, very Dawson's Creek ish in some parts, uh, with, uh, you know, what's his name to do the, uh, screenplay Mm -hmm. Williamson. But, I really like how this connects with one and two. I think this is why I still like it. Halloween 2018, maybe with the next two will fulfill the promise. I think they oversold. I do not have the highest opinion of Halloween 2018 as far as what they promised and what they delivered. Mm -hmm. I like a lot about Halloween 2018. Go find that podcast if you want to hear more. But I do like Halloween H2O. And I really like where Jamie Lee Curtis's character goes from... You know, PTSD. She definitely has PTSD. She's definitely dealing with alcoholism. She's definitely, you know, suffocating her son. Um, and at one point, and she's so scared of Michael Myers and that he's going to come back. And that at one point, I just love that scene where she grabs the axe and like yells his name and goes to confront him herself. You know, I think it's a very empowering moment for the character. Uh, and I, I just hate that. You know, oh, we're gonna go wipe it out. I'm like, well, some of us still fucking like that movie, you know. <laughs> well, like so, for, so many different branches off of the Halloween franchise yeah. timeline now. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as complicated as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but let's yeah. not get into that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's showing up anywhere in our list. <laughs> no, but I, I, think, um, I think my favorite bit about Halloween H two O though is the scene where Jamie Lee Curtis acted with her mom. Uh, mm-hmm. Janet, oh, yes. Janet Lee, and then when Janet Lee is walking away from Jamie Lee Curtis, she's walking Psycho. to the car from Psycho, and they uh, play the theme real quick. Yes, I was just like, that is awesome. I loved that moment. Um, yeah, because no, they go ahead. Yeah, because they really never acted together. I mean, the only other movie they did together was The Fog, and mm-hmm. they really weren't together that much on the screen either for that one. So. They, uh, I even read about that, like them being on set together in that Entertainment Weekly article. I remember that article so well. It's been fucking over twenty years. I can still remember that article. Was, wow. What well, was a huge? It was a huge deal at the time because not only was the film celebrating the twentieth anniversary of Halloween, which was mm-hmm. you know not only one of the most influential horror films ever made, but also mm-hmm. one of the most influential independent films ever made. Uh, but this was the first time Jamie Lee her Curtis was really returning to the franchise since part two. To horror in general. To horror in general because she turned her back on it after Halloween 2. Um, but, you know, the fact that she's acting with her mom on the big screen and this was one of her mom's first, you know, I mean, one of her most recent roles in a long time. 
Um, I remember them making a big fuss about LL Cool J being in the movie. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about that story he wrote to his girlfriend. <laughs> Got to tell about that story. Um, the other thing that I was reading is, you remember at this time, stars who had started in horror movies were actively trying to hide that they were ever in them. Yeah. You know, think about... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, or Leprechaun, you know, those stars were never acknowledged that they were in that movie. Well, even even though he was in Tremors, I mean, Kevin Bacon was still not acknowledging his appearance in Friday, Friday the 13th. 13th. And I mean, it took him not until I think the 2010s to finally acknowledge Friday the 13th when he did in that commercial uh, where he was laying there in the in the bed with the arrow through his throat. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get it with someone like his career. He's had so many huge movies that you don't have to worry about that. But. You know, a lot of people were were so shamed that they were in a horror movie. And here was Jamie Lee Curtis, who was a star and had been around for decades, saying, you know what? My role as as, uh, Laurie Strode was one of the best of my career. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that actively at that point and uh, came back to give it closure. Well, we Unfortunately, thought. we got resurrection a little bit later. I, I was going to say we thought there was closure yeah. there, but I, 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 if any of them don't exist, it's Halloween resurrection. <laughs> um, but I really love the Halloween one, Halloween two, Halloween H two O trilogy. I think that they just work really well together. And this is not the best Halloween movie in the franchise, but I do think the story uh, works pretty well when you put the three of them together. Mm-hmm. And I re- and I remember watching going in to watch this with my sister. I, my sister and I we shouldn't have we were both those witnesses. We shouldn't have seen this movie. <laughs> oh my! But you know the scene where um, the little girl starts screaming in the uh, in the in the in the restroom. Yes. So you don't know what's happening to her, and the mom busts in, and she's like, "Spiders!" Or my sister said, "Oh, Michael Myers has a heart." I'm like, "He's about to go kill people. He don't have no fucking heart." <laughs> So yeah, it's probably things like that that make me love this movie so much. All right, number four, Roy. What's your number four movie? Uh, my number four movie is yet another movie that you've already talked about. Mm-hmm. It uh, had to happen. Yeah. Uh, my pick for number four is not only one of my favorite horror films of the decade, but one of my favorite films of the decade period and one of my all-time favorite films, Tremors. All oh, right. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I was like, I wonder if he likes Tremors. I don't think oh we've ever my about it. god! I love Tremors. Absolutely love Tremors. Um, with Tremors, it to me was a great throwback to all those really schlocky sci-fi horror creature featured films that you would watch um, when you go to the theater. Uh, I mean, to the drive-in theater or something like that. It was just all sorts of fun. All you know, had nice little jump scares here and there and everything, um, mm-hmm. and also just had these great um, comedic moments. I mean, Reba McIntyre just was hilarious in this film. Um, and when they're trying to come up with the name of the monsters, they come up with graboids. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I was trying to remember what they were called. Yeah, graboids. Um, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, the, the the fact that the uh, the guy from Big Trouble in Little China was trying to you know 
make money off of the graboids and everything. Um, but I, I, I unabashedly love this film. Um, the sequels hit and miss. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely get a kick out of these things. Yeah, I think this is. There's a, some every once in a while a creature feature will come around, and they are unashamedly what they are, mm-hmm. and you love them. This also reminds me of uh, Eight Legged Freaks. Yes, you know, I yeah. could watch that movie all day long with fucking um, Scarlett Johansson in it. I didn't really. <laughs> I saw it again. I was like, wait a minute, that's Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, I, yeah, A League of Freaks is great. I mean, not only with yeah. Scarlett Johansson, but with, um, David Arquette, but that's for yeah. something else there. Yeah. But I uh, love Tremors, so I love yeah, it. I absolutely love Tremors, also. I think it's a, just a great, fun film. And, um, if you've never seen it, it's, see, see why people talk about Tremors the way they do. Do you think this movie has been. Re- carried over well. I mean, I know they still make sequels, but I don't know if that really translates to the original is held in any high esteem. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, that, that, that really is honestly a good question because, I mean, it's a goofy film. It's, it's definitely a very goofy film, and I apologize for the noise in the background. My cat has decided to attack his toys. Uh, so if you're wondering what, <laughs> cr- the, what the country, cr- uh, the crunchy sounds are, uh, that's what that is. Um, but um, at the same time, the um, the film just is silly and, 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 and silly sloppy. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that that, you know, can appeal to everybody too. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, highly recommend it. I think Alamo needs to get on their game and start showing some of these 90s horror movies more. Um, I mean, if you're showing Mad Madman, you can show Tremors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you ready for my number f- four? Yes, please. Well, Canadians seem to be able to knock it out of the park every once in a while. We have, uh, in the 80s, we have, you know, My Bloody Valentine. One of my personal favorites, Prom Night. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in the 90s, they actually came out with an amazing independent science fiction horror movie, Cube. I have not seen Cube yet, oh, actually. If you remember from the from what I had said before, one of my favorite premises for a horror movie is getting a group of people in a very confined, very scary, very life-threatening situation and seeing how the social dynamic works for them trying to escape out of that room because things always fall apart. These groups usually do not work well together when their lives are on the line. And no more so than in this movie where a group of people wake up and they are literally in a room that's a, a cube and on every side of the cube is another room, some with traps, some without. And having to figure out, you know, how they could work together. Some of them have skills that uh, will help them, but they have to discover them. Okay. Um, I wanted to see this at the movies. I was, again, 1997. 
there was an Alamo Drafts house around that would have shown this for sure. You know, you're going to be hard pressed to find an independent movie like this. Maybe your local art house cinema would be showing it, but they would probably thumb their nose at this too. And if you weren't really aware of how they worked, you might have missed it. So I saw this, I want to say on sci-fi. Uh, it was edited, um, but I was finally able to see it, and the first scene just blew my mind. If you want a taste of the movie, see the first five minutes. Okay. Um, there's sequels to them. I have seen them. I generally liked them, but the original is kind of where it's at. And uh, it's one of those sci-fi movies, definitely, but it's much more horror film. It's it's low budge. It's, it's you know they they do some pretty cool things with some of the kill scenes, but um, you know they're they're in a cube. <laughs> You know, well, gee, I hope by the title that that's what that means there. Um, hmm? I was going to say, I hope by the title that, that that's what that means. That they're yeah, you know, cube, they're in a cube, you know, you know they're not, and not the car. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would heavily recommend this movie. I think I think this movie very has has definitely a cult following that has kept it alive. Um, I think people should discover it, though. I believe it's on Amazon, all three of them. Okay. Or Hulu. One of the services have all three of them for free. And definitely give the first one a shot. I, the second one isn't that bad. It's just not as good. Um, but, like, if you like Saw 2, if you like that type of formula, go see Cube. I think you would enjoy it. It's gonna, not going to have any stars you've heard of or remember, but um, it's kind of the uh, the fun in the project and the okay. film. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's honestly one that has been on my list to see, but I've just never gotten around to seeing. So it's definitely in that echelon for me. But um, hopefully someday I will eradicate that. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready for our break and our... Oh, our next topic. Oh. Our next topic. Yes. Um, this is the movie... I mean... A lot of movies came out in the 90s that would probably make you say, ugh, why? And so we wanted to actually focus on one film that really made us say, ugh, why? So what is yours out of all the horror films that came out? Oh, me first. Yeah. God, I had so many to choose from, really. I just looking at everything that came up. But if there is one um, horror film that came out in mm-hmm. the '90s that really made me go, "Ugh, why?" And I gotta admit, you know, I went to go see this movie just because of what it was. Oh God, I can't wait! And was so disappointed in what we got, and made me realize. I was an idiot for wasting my money on this thing to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the Rage Carry Two. Oh my God! I, oh God, that makes me hurt just you saying it. Yeah. Um, the Rage Carry Two is a sequel that never should have happened. <laughs> um, I don't know why they they thought it was a great idea to make a sequel out of Carrie, but they did, and. Uh, in a desperate attempt to, you know, be relevant with the original movie, they brought Amy Irving back uh, to, to play Sue again. 
and mm -hmm. it just didn't work. Um, and I hated every second of it. And um, I wish it didn't exist. There. How about you? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do one that's uh, kind of funny because I doubt anyone's ordered this movie, and I you know. Talk about my entertainment weekly again, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember I was reading one day, and you remember they would have like the movies that were released, and you could read little synopsis of them. Yes. Um, and some of them were like you had never heard of and were probably never going to find, especially back then. Especially back then. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was called The Refrigerator. Oh, my God. I don't even think I've heard of this one. And I wanted to see this movie in that I want to see it because I want to hate it. Um, this is a, I want to say 1991. There is a Wikipedia article on it, people. Um, oh, God. It is exactly what you think. A refrigerator has somehow become a portal for portal to hell. So it's, it's an agent of the devil. Of course. And, you know, this poor fan, this poor couple, you know, you know, beautiful couple that move in. It is worse than I could possibly imagine. You know, the the husband is becoming possessed, influenced by the refrigerator. Oh Jesus! And like, there's a scene where the 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 girlfriend is like, "I think we need to get rid of our refrigerator because it's creeping me out." And he goes, it, "Like, if I remember correctly, it's like, like, honey, we need a refrigerator." Because it keeps food cold. That's its job, is to keep our food cold. I mean, it's, it's dialogue. Are you serious? I am serious as a heart attack. So it's, um, like, so it's like Troll 2 level of dialogue, yeah. except worse. Yes. And like she she leaves the apartment. This is all going on memories. Because I didn't, I didn't write on VHS. We had cable. And somehow I was watching cable. And the refrigerator comes on. I, don't even, I can't tell you what channel. I can't tell you how. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and was able to see it. This movie I'd read about, and I've read that fucking article over and over again because it just seemed that little snippet made me want to see it. And the universe made sure I saw it. Thank you, universe. I don't know what I did to deserve it. Yeah, I don't know why I'm putting it in bad. This is more like a guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> it just wanted but to make like, sure. Make... The, the, the girlfriend goes out and she's like, oh, I got it. It's so sunny. It's so bright. And this... This African-American lady, like, gypsy lady, comes up with a tambourine, and she's like, your refrigerator is an agent of the devil. Oh, I'm my like, God. Like, saying that. Um, at the end, when they try to confront it, the refrigerator brings all the other appliances to life to attack them. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, and there's still some what-the-fuck stuff I haven't told you about that I remember. Like I said, I saw this probably... 27 years ago i don't remember all of it of course i only saw it once but it made a memory and i i would love to watch it with you so that has to be i'm about. dumbfounded right now because i because I, i've not heard of this movie and yeah it is so bad i mean it might be on youtube for all i know you never know right you never know Let me, i'm gonna check right now but that's kind <laughs> of my unserious i'm gonna talk about a movie that I don't think I'm ever going to love, love in a franchise of a horrible series 
that not all of them are great. And I still find a lot to love about a lot of them. Um, and that is Jason Goes to Hell. Uh. Um, I think it is. Oh, my God, it is. We can watch this. We can watch this. The refrigerator is on is on YouTube. <laughs> wow. So um, Jason Goes to Hell. There's a lot of bad movies in this series. Some are good, bad, like Jason, Jason 10. Um, some are just bad, bad, like Jason Takes Manhattan. And then there's Jason Goes to Hell. And I just, what I dislike about this movie so much is that whoever wrote this piece of shit, oh, Adam Marcus, there we go. It's, I figured out a way to explain it all that shows how smart I am that has nothing to do with any of the movies that have come before it. And I had to tie to Evil Dead, ha. Huh? I mean, it just, it just doesn't, it, not only does it not work for me, I kind of hate it because it's written <laughs> by someone who is kind of snubbing his nose at the fandom. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not the origin story I want to hear about the fucking Necromonicon being used to bring him back. Of Jason going from one person to another in some sort of weird possession. There's, this just this is one movie, and I tried to watch again. I was like, no, this movie's just stupid. The first five minutes may be good, and the and the last five minutes are pretty iconic. Let's admit, but I I just don't like the rest of this. I just don't like this movie. I just don't like it. And I think this is what the problem I had with a lot of the origin stories. You know, Freddy and Final, you know, and Final Nightmare, and even um, Michael Myers, and you know, with the uh, with the cult, is let's figure out some way that doesn't pay attention to anything of the origins to explain these beings. Mm. And this one, of all of them, falls worse on its face. The only redeeming thing about this movie is Freddy's glove coming and getting his fucking mask at the last second. Yeah, and it took us. Over a decade to finally get that movie, and it turned out not to live up to the hype that we wanted. I still like that movie. It is it is not great, but I still like that movie. Uh, but I don't like this one. And like I said, not a, a lot of the Friday Thirteenth movies aren't very good. But I can find something to enjoy watching about them. Even the New Blood, even um, even Part Five, I can enjoy some things about them. But this one, I, I don't know what the good thing about it is. And I'd be hard, and I probably wouldn't pay attention if someone tried to tell me. I think Adam Marcus is still hoping this becomes some like cult classic to prove what a genius he is, and like keep on waiting, buddy. Yeah. I don't think it's happening. Wish in one hand, shit in the other. See which one fills up faster. Uh, well, we know that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we we definitely should do a bonus episode of the refrigerator. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to our countdown, shall we? Sure thing. So I'll we're, start. We're at number three. What is your number three choice? In the Mouth of Madness. Ah, okay. Uh, this isn't a movie I saw back then. I definitely remember the commercials. I thought they were freaky. Um, but when I finally did see it, I was like, wow. I, this movie, I feel, I, I wonder. This movie beat the whole... I mean, because Lovecraft came back in the aughts big time. It, I don't remember people talking about Lovecraft in high school for me, for me. Maybe someone did, but it wasn't like 
It, was, it wasn't like how it yeah, is. Edgar Allan Poe yeah. was a lot bigger in high school for me than this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was all about Edgar Allan Poe for high school and college for me. And, you know, Lovecraft was not really discussed or... I mean, yeah. I, I've I've seen Lovecraft really come into play in the late aughts and then in, really into the 2010s as well. And I think a lot of it has to do with some, you know, some fantastic board games that came out, some uh, role-playing games that helped people get that mindset. And then we saw movies coming out. Some had already shown influence of that, like The Thing. Um, Carpenter was already playing around with these Lovecraftian themes, of course. But uh, In the Mouth of Madness... It's way ahead of its time, like Candyman, like nothing else in that decade. Um, Sam Neill, amazing in it. Uh, it's, it's just, what other movie do you point at in the 90s and say, it's kind of like that? Yeah. I, I, especially mainstream. It breaks my heart that Carpenter came out with so many classics now that were bombs in the moment, starting with the thing. What, Big Trouble in China was also one. Yeah, they I mean, um, the fog. I mean, I don't. I, I know. I don't think the fog was as big as Halloween was. It I made mean, money. It made money. It did though. make money. So I mean, it was kind of there starting a little bit. But yeah, the thing, this one, um, Big Trouble in China, uh, Prince, Prince of Darkness, um, um, even uh, vampires. I mean, they they weren't as big and as remembered as they are today. I even, even Christine, um, was not yeah. as big of a hit as they wanted it to be. And I mean, the idea of John Carpenter teaming up with Stephen King should have been bomb, you know, should have been gigantic, but it really wasn't. Um, mm -hmm. John Carpenter has always been ahead of his time. He really has. Yeah. So. And I see this movie and it's like, not appreciated then. I think very much a lot more appreciated now. Um, I was, you know, I think people who are into the Lovecraft movies and games and all that, they should go back and watch this one. It's a good one. Um, a, a product of its time definitely doesn't have some of the effects that you could have today, you know, but I do like the practical effects he used. A lot of it harken back to the thing. Um Great way to bring out the, you know, the mad. I, I just think it's a good movie. I think it's a solid, well-made, well-written movie. And if you like that type of cosmic horrorness, you're going to love that movie. It may not say Lovecraft or anything about that one, but it's as much modeled after him as it is the obvious Stephen King references. Mm -hmm. And I just love kind of the ending where you're realizing, like, he's totally lost track of time. He's totally... He's not in the moment he thinks he is. You know, oh, he's no, like, I'm here to stop you with the book. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the, the ending's a mind fuck. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that it goes into this mind fuckery paths that it does. Like, did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue and stuff like that? I mean, just, mm -hmm. yeah. And if you look at it, look at the movies it was re released around. Again, none of them are like it. None of them are like it. And so. I think it was just too ahead of its time. I think it was just, it would fit in so well today. Not so much back then. Yeah. So, but it definitely is one of the highlights of that decade. And uh, again, I, I would also, sadly, I think it's one of his last good movies. I don't think he really did anything that Ghost of Mars would follow, wouldn't it? 
Well, I mean, I, I did like vampires, but Ghost of Mars, uh, yeah, oh, boy. This is his last major movie that yeah. had any sort of influence. I don't think vampires has any well, sort of influence. Well, it was part three days. of his Apocalypse trilogy because it all started mm-hmm. with uh, The Thing, then uh, Prince of Darkness, and then this one are considered his Apocalypse trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, I know I know not everybody likes vampires. I, I, I do like vampires for what it is um but his last really great film yeah would be this one and i think it's good that he's still around to see that his films have are so much more appreciated now than they were in the 90s mm-hmm. i don't um, think he gives a and shit how influential how much i mean uh ari oster said that in the mouth of madness was one of the most influential movies for him mm-hmm. and now he's made uh midsummer and hereditary i mean that speaks for itself. Is your movies are continue like decades later are still influencing people. They might not have been hits, but we talk about in the mouth of madness a lot more than say Anaconda. <laughs> well, there's a, there's different reasons to discuss Anaconda. <laughs> we only um, talk about Anaconda for J Lo's ass. There you go. <laughs> and and, and, and but, her nipples that were lit up through the entire film. I mean, okay, and I'm just gonna go off on one more thing. When I saw Anaconda, I really thought that would be the last time I was going to see Owen Wilson. I really <laughs> thought so. Boy, was I fucking wrong. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow. Oh, wow. Thank you, Wes Anderson. Thank you. Yeah. I think the worst thing about that movie is unloading on Anderson on the rest of us. Yeah. We don't know shit about the shit we're in. I remember, you got to be kidding. Like That line, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Enough of that. But yeah, In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, If you haven't seen it, check this out. See Prince of Darkness as well. Yeah. I know you've probably already seen the thing. But if you you want two Carpenter movies that you probably should have seen by now, In the Mouth of Madness and Prince of Darkness. Yeah. All right, right. What's your number three? Have you already did yours? No, it's your turn. Yeah, here's my uh, number three. And I will let you know right now that my number three and number two choices are from the same director. Oh, go. Yes. So my choice for number three is another film that was way ahead of its time. Um, another, like, In the Mouth of Madness, very meta movie, um, but an incredible film. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, uh-huh. Yes. yes. I mean, so, so good. So ahead of its time. Nobody was, at the time, ready for such a meta movie like this. I mean ballsy movie too i to have heather langenkamp come back to the franchise again but this time playing herself and you know kind of dealing with the uh issues that she had with the stalkers that she developed because of the nightmare on elm street franchise uh which was one of the inspirations for this film uh i i i remember when nightmare on elm street came out i was convinced that Wes craven uh took a lot of peyote and locked himself up in a room for a month to pound out the script. And when the idea came out for New Nightmare, I thought he did the same thing, only this time he added some cocaine to the mix. Uh, <laughs> because of the of the, pl- of the plot description, I was like, oh my God, this is balls out crazy. Um, the, the, the whole concept of Freddy Krueger you know, becoming this actual entity and demon that got upset that his story was not being told anymore and manifests into reality um, mm-hmm. 
and you know they have to create this new script in order to contain it and it's you know fucking with heather langenkamp's life it's also fucking with robert england's life and everyone else who was directly involved with the franchise in some way is just so well done and the one scene out of this film that has always haunted me was when heather goes to meet Wes Craven and you know try to figure out what's going on and he plays himself in the movie and it, mm-hmm. he, you know he reveals that he too is being disturbed by this and he's realized what's happened and what he needs to do and you know he's he's describing you know what he's doing to try to help everyone out and everything and after he and Heather are done with their conversation it swerves over to the computer where he's working on a screenplay and we read the screen and we realize that the dialogue that they just said is what's on the screenplay and when we're reading down to the end, we get to the words fade to black and the screen fades to black. Just, you talk about mind fucking. That's a mind fuck mm-hmm. right there. Um, but just so much good happens in the movie. I hadn't seen a Elm Street movie that strong since part three. And I... Honestly, I think it's stronger than part three. It's up there with part one. I, I, out of all the sequels, I, I will argue and say it is the strongest sequel of the entire franchise because just like the first film, it did something unique. It did something fresh. It did something brand new that had really not been seen at that point. I This came out before In the Mouth of Madness. So this went in that meta direction before In the Mouth of Madness did, which is why I put it above In the uh, Mouth of Madness for me. And plus also just on how creative it was. I mean, if you've not seen Wes Craven's New Nightmare, you need to fix that right now, especially if you're a Freddy Krueger fan, because wow, what a film. What an absolutely amazing film. And the uh, the reason I think in some ways that Freddy definitely has the leg up on Michael and Jason is because he's got the better movies. There's just no way around it. Um, because... Nightmare on Street Part 1, Dream Warriors, and New Nightmare are better than any three movies you're going to find, especially from that era um, that were written in that time when they were in their heyday. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about it, all uh, three had screenplays written by Wes Craven as well. So I Yeah, mean, yeah. So, so I mean, they showed more originality. They, they grew more. Um, they were more influential. And... Yeah, New Nightmare is a great example of that. And, you know, that's also why I love Heather Langenkamp so much and Nancy. Uh, she's great in all three of those movies. Yeah. Um, and she's she's able to do stuff with the character that Laurie Strode and Nancy and Sidney Prescott aren't able to do, if you ask me. Um, because they're, the movies are just so different and they're, she's dealing with such a different supernatural entity. Uh, that's why I've always liked her so much, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I I love that movie. It's a good movie. What's your number three? Oh, wait a minute. No, what's Did your number two? <laughs> you mean, I'm sorry, number two. What's your number two? That's a movie that pretty much, um, I, I want to say it started the decade, Misery. Ah, so uh, you did put Misery on there. Okay. Uh, it, I asked because... It's that big to me. Um, it would be the first horror movie I ever walked into theater to see. I was pretty much smuggled into that theater because I didn't go with my parents. I went with a group of teenagers. 
I have no idea. The two of them were my sisters. I don't know how they stuck me in. And if you talk about a movie that just had a hold on me, it's that one. Um, Kathy Bates is phenomenal. Winning an Oscar. She did what we're only wishing Lupita and, uh, well, Heather, Elizabeth Moss and, uh, uh, what's her name, from Hereditary could do. She actually brought home the damn thing. She wasn't just nominated. She brought home the damn Oscar for playing a horror villain, one of the best of all time, male or female. And uh, I don't see, uh, you know, Kane Hoder with an Oscar for Jason. <laughs> <laughs> he should have one, but maybe a different type of Oscar. Um, but uh, there's just a lot to love this movie. It's as iconic as it was the day it came out. The memes have not stopped. We know we know the scene. And they rewrote the scene significantly. It's much more gruesome in the book. Um, oh, God. Annie yes. Wilkes oh. does a lot more to that poor guy in the hobbling scene than uh, she did. But that scene is still just the way the foot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but Kathy Bates brings it home in this role that is, it's like, this is the first time America sees her. I, I, she might've, I don't know what she was in before, but I don't think anything to this magnitude. Well, she's and, done, uh, yeah, she, she did bit roles. She was in, um, come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. <laughs> she did a lot of stage stuff. She has a, a cameo in Dick Tracy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, this film put her on the map. It really did. Yeah. And Dick Tracy would have been made around this time, uh, released around this time anyway. Yeah. Richard Farnsworth, let's not forget how amazing he is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Richard Farnsworth is the heart and soul of this movie, and it's heartbreaking when he gets killed in this movie. Because um, you're pulling for him. And James Caan, I don't think he had much of a career going on since, like, it seemed like this was a good comeback vehicle for him as well. Yeah, because he had Godfather, uh, he had The Thief, but really didn't have the career... That I think he wanted in the eighties. I mean, he did Alienation and a couple of other films here and there, but nothing yeah. like he had dreamed. Yeah, and this kind of got him back involved again. And I think this movie is as iconic. I think some of the scenes are as iconic as anything that came out in the nineties. I think Annie Wilkes is one of the best horror villains of all time. I love, I mean, I didn't see all of it, and I certainly didn't like a lot of uh, Castle Rock Season 2. I, there's a reason I stopped watching it, but not because of what that actress is doing with Annie Wilkes' character. There's a lot to mind there. It's a, it's a, it's a good character. Um, but Kathy Bates won the damn thing. Won the damn thing. If it happened once, how come it can't happen again? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the, what was the Academy smoking in 1990 and 1991 and 1992 <laughs> that they gave this and Silence of the Lambs Oscars? Someone please tell me because the two most two of the most iconic villains of this decade did get Oscars, yeah. and then nothing after that. Well, I will say one of the biggest interesting things about the character of Annie Wilkes is that when I saw the movie misery mm-hmm. um i had read the book i i had read the book three times at this point i it is it is one of my personal favorite stephen king books 
And, and somehow I had to go ahead, go ahead and I'll say it later. Uh, I remember when seeing the movie and when Kathy Bates, you know, is doing her I'm your number one fan and everything, I got really creeped out because I'm going, dear God, she looks and sounds exactly like how I imagined her from the book. <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh no, it came to life, no. Uh, but yeah, I, she did such a damn good job in that role. And I mean, it was just a great character to read also. And, um, yeah, she, if you've not read the book, it definitely goes further than you think. Um, but, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But this book is a great adaption. I think a TV show of the book could work better, but for the movie, I think they did what they had to do. Yeah. Well, Rob Reiner um, did, I think, an excellent job, you know, directing the film and everything. Right. Did a really, like you said, he did really a, a really good adaptation. I mean, I don't think they would have been, I don't think you know they would have been really able to do what they did in the film in the book. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, with what they did, I I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed. And when Annie gets it in the end, I'll never forget that audience applause. Uh, when, when that happened. Yeah, that's the other reason I think I have such fond memories of this movie is I somehow snuck into the library, got the book, and read it before I went to go see it. Um, and I love that book. Mm-hmm. I love that book. Uh, reading in the bathtub, I would lock up the, the, the door and pretty much in the bathtub for an hour or two and be rereading. <laughs> <laughs> The what things you, I did to try to get horror back then. What are you doing in there? What are you doing in there? Yeah, so um, I it was just <laughs> I have uh, I have a lot of fond memories of Misery, the book, Misery, the movie, um, being snuck into a rated R movie, all that, all that. I was thirteen. I was thirteen, um, and a great time, and a great time. Um, how about did you do your number two? No, it's your Not turn. Yet. It's funny that, okay. that, that it's funny that that is the R-rated movie that you snuck into. I mean, the the for me, the R-rated movie that I snuck into, my very first R-rated movie that I snuck into without going to see it with my parents was a fish called Wanda. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, also, I think the other good memory I have is seeing the Oscars. And being that, you know, at that time, I, you know, nothing, it wasn't broken down like it is now where you pretty much know who's going to win what. Mm-hmm. And back then, it was just kind of like, who's going to win? I don't know. You don't even know who's going to I just was like, oh, look, Kathy Bates got nominated. Yay. Yeah, um, who, yeah who would have predict that? Uh, yeah, I remember just, just waiting and like, maybe she'll win. Maybe she'll win. Oh, my God, she won. Yeah, who, who would have <laughs> who, who predict Marissa Tomei would have won, you know? So. Oh, there you go. You know, <laughs> what was the Academy smoking back then? Well, as I all right, so what's your number two? As I mentioned, number three and number two were directed by the same director, and this movie almost made it to number one for me. Um, But something else to me stood out a lot more, um, especially after recently rewatching it. But my choice for number two is Scream, and I don't blame you. Um, This film rewoke the horror franchise not just not just the slasher franchise but rewoke the horror genre period uh Wes Craven again makes another meta movie but this time unlike New Nightmare and Mouth of Madness at the point Scream came out in the theaters apparently audiences then were ready for a movie like this a movie that took 
what had happened prior to it and turn it on its ear and create not only a great satire and commentary on the genre, but creating a great horror film in its own. Um, Scream has some great laughs in it, some great performances. I mean, Nev Campbell was just basically for Party of Five at that point, and then you know she goes on to play Sydney Prescott, and bam. Mm -hmm. um, it was a huge comeback for Drew Barrymore. I, for those who don't know, prior to Scream... Great! Casting! Mm -hmm. prior, prior to this film, Drew Barrymore's star was tarnished hardcore because of the <coughs> drinking and uh, the drinking, the alcohol, the drugs and everything. I mean, prior to this film, the other roles that she had was like she played like she played um, Oh my god, Amy uh, Amy, Amy Fisher. Amy Fisher in the Amy Fisher story and she was in the movie Poison Ivy where she you know, made out with um, um, Alyssa Milano. You know, I mean, in, in, you know, she really kind of was not having that great of a time career-wise. And... You know, but she, she was iconic as fuck because of E.T. and Firestarter. Yeah, and... and, and we all knew who she was. Yeah, and her family was iconic in Hollywood as well, but unfortunately mm -hmm. her family had an alcohol problem and it, it fed over to her. So she could have been one of the most tragic child star stories ever. But fortunately, it all turned around for her. And this role was one of the big reasons why. I, her, the, that opening sequence with her being tortured by Ghostface Killer is so iconic and so scary. I mean, to, mm -hmm. to this day, people will still say, you know, do you like scary movies and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you hear how that scene, how how she got into that character with you know Wes Craven telling her the story about you know lighting a dog on fire in a driveway and stuff like that, you know he just tortured her to death mentally with these stories and brought out this incredible performance from her. I mean, that opening sequence alone, I, I if that would have been just the movie, I would have gotten my money's worth right there just with that. And that's what sequence. they mostly marketed in the car in the commercials, if I remember correctly, yeah. like. People were surprised she died. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the psycho uh, it was the whole psycho syndrome thing and everything. But fortunately, everything that happened after that movie turned out to be just as entertaining. I mean, um, great characters, great fleshed out um, three dimensional characters. Um, I mean, ro we got Rose McGowan with this film. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I know I know that she's you know for understandable reasons has turned her back on Hollywood, but I, in a way, she you know did a great skewering of the of the big-breasted bimbo character that was so prevalent in these films, and turned that type of a character on their ear. Um, it also turned on the ear the idea that the final girl had to be a virgin, and you know, I mean, all every single trope that the slasher genre had at this point was just skewered like crazy. But done in a way to where it wasn't a parody. And that is part for me of what makes this film as magical as it is, is, is that it didn't go into that direction. It it was it was poking fun at what made the slasher genre the slasher genre, but it was also a love letter to it at the same time. And mm -hmm. gave it new lifeblood and gave the horror genre in the 90s a much needed injection of adrenaline. 
Um, so, I mean, there's a reason that it's still, you know, praised today like it is. And, I mean, we had sequels. Part 2 is a great sequel. I know Part 3 is kind of on, it, on you know, sketchy grounds with people. I think Part 4 is very underappreciated. Uh, I love Scream 4 to death. Um, but, I mean, going back to this one, this is definitely one of the best slasher films ever made, Scream. I, I was controversial. I didn't put Scream on my top ten. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I felt if I wasn't going to include seven, I could. I was going to go ahead and just celebrate other movies uh, because it's almost expected you were going to talk about Scream, and I was like, I'm going to talk about ten other movies instead. Got it. Uh, I prefer Scream 2 to Scream. Mm-hmm. Sorry, another unpopular opinion. I like Scream 2 a lot. Um, that's probably the one I've seen the most. Uh, I, um, I, but I love Scream. I remember being in college and, uh, I had art, I had seen like Fargo and seven at these screenings at SMU in the small movie theater they had. And I mean small, and this was before they hit the theaters. And I remember going around and they're like, Hey, do you want to see this movie? It's a new slat. It's a new horror movie by uh, Wes Craven that has Drew Barrymore in it. And I wanted to see it, but I passed by instead. I had to wait. I rented it on home video, probably not too much later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And finally got to see it there and loved it. So yeah, I mean, of course, Scream is one of the best movies of the nineties. I just wanted to celebrate some other movies that, uh, as well, because to me, if we're going to talk about like taking out the psychological horror, seven would be in the top three as well. Yeah, I adore I adore seven. Um, I don't care that uh, what's his face is in it because to me, he's not in it until the very end anyway. He who shall not be named, <laughs> the gay who shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> and, and see, for me, but, if it was psychological horror at this point, it would have been The Silence of the Lambs. Um, yeah, and of course that one. I mean, those these are all the movies that really define the decade. I put it in Misery because Misery definitely does have a slasher feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more than Seven, which is a serial killer movie. More than Copycat. Was Copycat going to be on your top ten? No. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> That's once a Gordon Weaver movie that wasn't going to appear in our time. No, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, so I I totally, yeah, I was just being controversial about not putting Scream. Of course, it's one of the best movies. I just wanted to talk about 10 other ones. Well, before we get to our pick, and it would have been one. Scream 2. Scream 2 would have been the top 10 for me because I adore Scream 2. God. Well, before we get to our picks for number one, why don't we talk about the film that we think that came out in the nineties that is underappreciated, that doesn't get the love that we think that it deserves. I mean, not, not only at the time, but you still think doesn't get the love that it deserves. Um, I was going to talk about another movie that I like a lot more than the general populace does. And that's alien three. But in the end, uh, I, I was don't wondering think if you were going to talk about Fincher's, that one. David Fincher's vision has never really hit. And so I don't really want to talk about it because I will never get what I really want to see. Yeah. That's what David Fincher's, David Fincher's vision was. Um, 
I like Alien 3. I, I, I dislike, yes, I, I hate the big decisions that were made. But for what it, we got what we got. And I think there are some good things about it. On the other hand, it's incredibly flawed. Yeah. So I decided to go up with another incredibly flawed movie that has two direct two cuts of it itself, and that is Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, the theatrical cut of Halloween Part Six. I don't. It's horrible. Oh, it's wretched. Horrible. It makes no sense. If you see it, just it's not cut very well. It looks like several different movies sliced together and that's because that's exactly what it is um but if you're able to see the producer's cut the 666 cut i think there's lots of ways to to mention it that movie has balls um well the fact that we have uh, michael myers um fucking his niece i mean that right there that's when it's like okay it's gonna be one of those type of movies all right yeah there's something about it that uh, it's just so what the fuck that I I came to respect it. <laughs> the, 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 the actual cut decided to leave off things. It, that's why narratively it makes no sense. If you see the, um, I'm trying to find out, the Halloween 666, the origin of Michael Myers. There's so many different ways to do it, but um, it used to be almost impossible to get the producer's cut. Yeah, uh, I remember going to a comic book convention and someone had it on bootleg, and that's how you could see it. You know what I mean? Uh, it was, finally, it, it, it's like how the Star Wars the, holiday special is, you know, and so, which now is in abundance all over YouTube and everything. But I guess Song of the South. I don't know. Yeah, does anyone copy a Song of the South? I mean, at diehard Disney collectors probably, but that's about it. I think Disney has people going to like kill people who somehow have it. <laughs> but um, yeah, before the era of the internet, to see the producer's cut was impossible mm-hmm. uh, unless you got one of these bootleg versions. And I never did. And like having been in that era, sometimes you bought bootlegs, you took them home and you realized it was a blank fucking VHS tape. And what were you going to do? You know? Um, You're basically screwed in the pooch, basically. Look, the Halloween series is what it is. It is what it is. It's all over the place. But there's something about the producer's cut of this that is so, like, off the wall, a little bit more gutsy, uh, makes a lot more sense than that, you know, theatrical release, that I would recommend giving it a shot. If you've seen all the others, and if you've seen fucking Resurrection... Go get that producer's cut and see it. It's it's uh, four, five, and six. While not the most amazing pieces of movies ever put on celluloid, uh, I, I I can't even say it because it's not true. I would say they're not as bad as people say. I love part four. I think part four is good. I think part five is bad, <laughs> and I part six is what? Yeah. <laughs> I think with the producer's cut, like, wait, what? What? How did you get here? <laughs> Yeah, what well, we were um, promised it, at the end of part four never happened. And honestly, it should have been. And they the, you. The yeah. worst part is uh, even uh, even little, what's her name? Danielle Harris. Even Danielle Harris wanted to go with it. Yeah. She was like, yeah, make me a killer. She I, wanted I, to go with it, and uh, Donald Pleasance wanted it to go there also. He was just like, why didn't they go with history repeating itself? And now well, instead they went with the whole 
Thrawn thing, so yeah, and, and killing off characters that needed to stay in the in the series. Mm -hmm. If there is um, one important thing though about Part Six, it's the fact that it gave us Paul Rudd. Exactly, and, the, and Paul Rudd. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he would go on to be in Clueless not that much later, and he's much better in that movie. Yeah. Um, but he's uh, he's not bad in this movie. Overacting, underacting, I'm not sure which one you want to say, but it's it's happening. But he's still good-looking to look at. Uh, I, I, I like Part 6. I like the producer's cut. It's not amazing, but like I said, if you have seen Resurrection, if you have seen... Uh, what's the rapper's name? Uh, Hello, Cool J. If oh, no, 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 Busta no, no. Rhymes. Busta Rhymes. If you've had, if you've seen Busta Rhymes do Kung Fu on Michael Myers, you can see the producer's cut. All right, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so go give it a shot. I'm not saying you're gonna put that at the top of your favorite list of all time, but I think the producer's cut is worth it. Worth a shot. Look at it and come up with your own opinion of it. Your turn. <laughs> um, my underrated movie, uh, again, comes from Wes Craven. Um, uh, and, uh, wow. Yeah, and it's The People Under the Stairs. Uh, I don't think that movie gets as much love as some of his other films does, and that's a shame because uh, The People Under the Stairs, I think, is a fun, funhouse scare movie. Um Again, dealing with so, you know social commentary, uh, you know you've got these uh, rich, affluent white people that pretty much have made this community filled with African American and Latino people a shithole, and um, you know, the, the, you know um, a, a group decides that they're going to get the upper hand on them one day, and unfortunately, it backfires on them in the most wickedest way possible. And it becomes a fight, a survival for this little kid to try to get out of this house of horrors and um, goes into, you know, twisted direct and twisted directions that make you honestly feel like that you are in one of those fun houses that you feel like you're not going to be able to escape, but eventually you do. Um, I remember the first time when I saw um, the people under the scares, I was genuinely terrified by this thing. Uh, and, 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 because of the fact that, you know, it was this little kid that was put in peril like he was. And uh, I love the fact that we have our couple in the movie um, who uh, also played a couple on Twin Peaks. So that was one of the things that actually drove me to it was I was just like, oh, it's the two people from Twin Peaks. And so, I, you know, would go see that. And then you're seeing them play these batshit crazy characters that were even more batshit crazy than on Twin Peaks. Uh, it, it was just, oh, I remember just having so much fun with it and just the goosebumps that it created and everything. But it has gotten, I think, compared to all the other Wes Craven movies that everybody remembers and everything, it, it has disappeared and, and really fallen <clears throat> off the radar. And I think, especially in today's environment, it deserves to be rediscovered because there are shit, shitty asshole people that exist in this world today, like the two people who own this neighborhood. And I think it's ripe for rediscovery. Um, if, if you've not seen this movie, definitely, definitely check it out. Um, it 
goes in directions that you're not going to predict at all whatsoever. It's very unpredictable. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't recommend People Under the Stairs en uh, enough. I, I, it's just a great film. Have you ever seen it? Uh, uh, um, I decided to date my ex while watching that movie. Oh, God, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, need to, I, need, I need to rebrand it. I think I need to rebrand it, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, That's the only time I've ever seen it. Um, so that used to be, like, the story of our relationship was like, well, we were watching The People Under the Stairs. And now, um, yeah, I need to rebrand it yeah. to something else. Uh, I, I think, honestly, if you look at the 90s, a lot of it needs to be rediscovered. Mm -hmm. It's not all Scream, and I know what you did last summer, mm -hmm. and Candyman. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's more to it than those three movies, I, it, uh, and The Blair Witch. Yeah. I think a lot of it needs to be rediscovered. A lot of it needs to find a bigger audience. Um, because, yeah, there's a lot of crap, but not New Nightmare. Uh, there needs to be more rediscovery of movies like that mm -hmm. and in the mouth of badness. And, uh, then, oh. then I know what you, you know, I still know what you did last summer with Brandy. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> sorry, Brandy fans. And I mean, one, that, <laughs> one that's not mentioned on this list for me, but I'll even throw in their Nightbreed. you know, um, yeah. Films like that or, or, uh, David Cronenberg's Existence. event horizon, event horizon, existence. Um, yeah, just some great some Jack great stuff Frost. I mean, if you just want oh, to Jack Frost. <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's face it. We we celebrate so many bad horror movies from the eighties. Jack Frost fits in with them. Oh yeah, it does. Uh, uh, you know, I like Mimic a lot. Another good creature feature, um, and I could put that one in. There's too many movies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think we're at our number one. Yes, number one. I'm gonna Who's let, going first? I'm going to let you go first. What is what is your number one pick? My number one. Okay, so a few a few months ago, some friends of mine because they know I love horror, like, can you recommend some like really extreme movies for us? And I did, um, like the new climax movie. I told them to go see that. Mm -hmm. And the one that I like saved for last, they we we saw each other last week, and they're like, oh my god, that movie. We weren't prepared, and it's audition. That um, almost went on my list. I I honestly think when you look at it, the the movie that is of all these movies, if you talk about one that scared me, one that disturbed me, one that has stayed in my mind as a horror movie should, it's Audition, and I think it really was a forerunner of what the next ten years with the torture porn and things like that was going to bring. Whether whatever you think about that, but uh, I mean, this is Takeshi Miiki. I hope I did not slaughter his name, but I mean, you've seen this movie, I'm sure. Oh yeah, uh, his movies are notorious, and I, this is one though that I read about a lot and finally saw it at block. Like again, all this movies, blockbuster, blockbuster, blockbuster. That's how we saw the movies back then. You had to go find it at blockbuster. Hope they had a copy because they only had two at that blockbuster and you know if it was new you're gonna be fighting for everybody for it and when i saw that i can honestly say even though i knew the plot i was not prepared especially for the last 30 minutes even though he does a great job of making you uncomfortable for the ride to that last 30 minutes mm -hmm. and if you ask me what movie has stayed in your mind 
as much as for horrifying elements, it's audition and it's probably not even close with the others. Um, and it's still a good movie. It's, it's not just exploitation crap. You know what I mean? It's not something like hostile, you know, you know, Eli Roth wants to make movies like this, but he doesn't have the skill. Yeah. Um, and you know, closes out the decade and pretty much showing this is where horror is going and uh, it's going to be a much different ride. So that's why I put it up top because of that. And like I said, even now, 2020, I'm, I'm telling friends of mine, see this 20, 1999 movie and that they were like, yeah, it was, it was something. It was something. Just make that little noise she makes when she's about to go in with the needles, like, creak, creak, creak. <laughs> oh, God. Just, it, it just sends shivers down my, my spine 20 years later thinking about it. How about you, Roy? What is your pick for the decade? My pick is going to probably be controversial. Oh, I love controversy. Yeah, because some people might not see this as a horror film. Um, and there's probably going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, really? Really? But upon recently rewatching it and just seeing how under the skin it gets and unnerving it is and the risks that it takes. You did pick Showgirls. No. <laughs> <laughs> My pick for the best horror film of the 90s is Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. By David Lynch. I've never seen it, so I'm not one of the Twin Peaks fellows, so I'm not going to have much to share. <laughs> um, this is a unique bird because it is a prequel and a sequel at the same time. Um, because we are witnessing the days that led up to the death of Laura Palmer in this movie. At the same time, we're also exploring other stories in Dale Cooper's life. And all of a sudden, we realize that where we left David Dale Cooper off in the show, with him inside the uh, the red room in the Black Lodge, um, we suddenly realize that we're still there, and he's actually witnessing the past, but trying to change the past, but he can't change the past, and uh, just a. Dark, dark, dark film. Probably West. Uh, probably um, his most darkest film that he's uh, directed since uh, Eraserhead. I mean, um, David Lynch is in his own world. Honestly, when it, when, you, when it comes to his films, he's on a different level than everybody else. And I this this film deals with the supernatural. It deals with um, it, it, it deals with taboo topics like um, um, incest and it deals with demons and it deals with terror in a small town which is you know a, a favorite topic of his mm -hmm. and I when you when you watch it the first time if if you go in watching this movie without being familiar with Twin Peaks oh you're gonna be so lost you can I mean you get lost the first time you watch it anyway and that's typical reaction to any David Lynch movie Mulholland uh, Drive <laughs> yeah exactly um, but um, 
I mean, when when you put everything all together in the world of Twin Peaks, and when you when you, when you watch season one and season two, then this movie, and then the most recent season, there is a connection that is going on. And even though it's a non-linear story, you do eventually start seeing the whole story that he's trying to tell with Dale Cooper and Laura Palmer. But there's just there's stuff that happens in this movie that is nightmare fuel. I not only the creepiness that is Bob. Um, the, 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 the demon that taunts and tortures Laura Palmer. Um, but you know, Bob possessing Laura Palmer's father to have him rape her and kill her. Spoiler alert. Uh, and, um, for, for something that's almost 30 years. Yeah, exactly. Days. Spoiler alert. Um, but also dealing with the demons that are in the uh, the Black Lodge and the whole the whole sequence with uh, with David Bowie's character and um, you know, just all sorts of just dark dark evilness that's going on in in the town of Twin Peaks. It is haunting. It really is, and it's one of those films that when I first saw it, I couldn't shake it off at all it, it 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 was like hereditary for me i couldn't mm -hmm. shake the movie and when they re-released the movie um uh when they did the the first time they did the big giant box set for twin peaks on blu-ray and then they did the criterion collection um edition of it with the 4k restoration i revisiting fire walk with me it brought those feelings back and it brought that that just that uncomfortableness back. Uh, I need to quit. And so it, that's that's why it made my number one pick because it, you do like with films like Hereditary. After you're done watching it, you feel like you need to watch something happy just to exercise that demon out of your head. Mm -hmm. Well, I tried. I tried. I remember when Twin Peaks came out initially. Uh, Back then, again, it's hard to watch. If you didn't watch it live, you were kind of screwed. Um, yeah. And that was something that I kind of caught a little bit in the middle. I saw at the end where I found out who killed Laura Palmer, and I was like, oh, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I never saw the movie. I tried to watch it again recently, but I need to I, – I think I need to really make an effort just to say, all right, what well, it's just two seasons, a movie, and then the new stuff. It's not that much product to really have to – go through but you, uh, you don't think it is but i mean again this is david lynch we're talking about here and david lynch is like i said he's in a plane on his own and so when you're sitting there and you're and you're watching his stuff it's a lot to take in it really is mm -hmm. and but, no one knows what's going on in his brain not even kyle mclaughlin or lord dern you know so exactly so there you go uh, you know what I enjoyed doing this a lot. I realized a lot of these movies have so much memories with my teenage years. And it's been a fucking long time since my teenage years, dude. <laughs> For all of us, I think, Aaron. What did it feel like going through these with you? It was an interesting little flashback going back on these. I was just like, oh, yeah, look at that. And look at that. And I remember that. Stuff yeah. like that. So, All right. So much fun. All right. Well... Thanks for listening to this kind of bonus episode. Me and Roy are going to sit back and figure out where we go from here. But you definitely will be hearing from us again. Oh, yeah. We will definitely be back. We just don't know what direction we're going to go into next. So Yeah, and just looking at this decade, I will say, I'm not sure we could have mined a lot of these years for 
really true best of us. I think this is the best way to handle yeah, definitely. the decade. Yeah. Because so. it would have been like, okay, so we got these films and oh, I wanted, I, at number five is Silent Night, Deadly Night Five. <laughs> so, so so at number seven it's 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 Hellraiser Inferno. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> it's like because I only saw five movies and only want to. I'm talking about Bloodlines. You like that movie? No, I fucking hate it. <laughs> but I had to say five. No, I feel like it would be something like that. So yeah. we'll figure out where we go. But thanks for listening, everyone. You got it. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>